If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's guest again on Horse Chat is Johan Schlees, who talks to us, who's an absolute expert on saddlery, all things to do with saddlery, fitting saddles, and um, we're going to talk to him today about 10 things to watch when buying a saddle. Now, Johan, how are you going today? I'm doing very good. Thank you very much, asking Lynn. How are you? Oh, very well, very well. Now, we're going to talk about, because, you know, a lot of people just when they're going to buy a saddle, they're not sure. They'll jump on Facebook, they'll go to a few forums, they'll ask their friends, you know, is that going to be a problem by following the recommendations of trainers, riding buddies? I mean, what sort of things should we be looking for when we're going to buy a saddle? You know, I think it's absolutely incredible to listen to your coach and listen to your friends. It's an absolutely must, but we need to we need to make very clear mm-hmm. what are they recommending. Do they recommend the service and the quality of service they got from that one or the other company? Yep. Or do they recommend a specific product? Mm-hmm. I like to use an analogy. I'm from Germany. And a lot of my friends were the shoes. We 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 call it Adidas, and and um, the Americans call it Adidas. Yes. <laughs> so my foot and my friend said, "You got to get the running shoe Adidas," but my foot is too small, too too narrow. Mm-hmm. Right. My foot fits really really well in Nike. So they say, get the shoes, and imagine you do this with yourself. The horses are different. The riders are different. As a matter of fact, if you go on YouTube and you click on the red shoe video on our channelfitforlife.com website, we actually made a very funny red shoe video and um, which addresses it exactly. Because if I like a specific saddle, like with the analogy of my shoes, mm-hmm. and it fits me well, and I say, Hey, Glennis, you should buy this saddle. And you buy it because I'm so loving my saddle. And you said, okay, he's happy, he's successful, I buy the saddle. But it comp- that type of brand doesn't fit you at all. You probably had that in your life where one or the other's brand doesn't, doesn't do it for you, right? You know what? This is a bit of a problem sometimes with coaches, you know, that, that you ask your instructor what horse should I buy? And the instructor buys a horse that they would like, not necessarily one that is suitable for the student. So it's got to be exactly the same, you know, with saddles. I can certainly agree with you there and I can see the parallels between buying a saddle and um, buying a horse. I I love that analogy that you just said with the instructor. The Mm. good instructor will get a horse for you what elevates your riding skill. Yeah, the bad experienced instructor. instructor. Exactly. Mm. Right? We are so many so-called instructors out there, and um, most of the time they recommend a horse you go on over. Mm. You know, you're stuck there to take the lessons over and over again. It doesn't bend. So, and the same with saddles. You know? mm. So, if your instructor sells you a saddle because they get a lot of money for it or they're uh, yes. on the payroll, yep. 
no matter if it fits you or not, as long as they get their commission. Yep. It's absolutely unfair for the animal because they don't get money. And if they got money, they have no use for money. Yep. You know, they have yep. pain. Yep. And they're not comfortable. And then the adult amateur rider, the majority of people who really love their horses, are heartbroken. Yes. Because they trust the trainer and then it, or, or the one or the other salesperson. So if you have a recommendation because it's a good service, it's great. But do your homework. And um, there's enough service out there. We have so many free videos online from saddlefitforlife.com where we share what to watch out and um, not just follow blindly what a riding buddy or, or a trainer says. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of taking that forward and thinking about the importance. I mean, obviously you want it to be fits me, fits my horse, or is one more important than the other? What are the main things to look for on the saddle? Yeah, um, and one of the things that people ask me, like you said, you know, what is more important, does it fit me or fit my horse? The, yeah. the saddle is the interface between two living things mm -hmm. and when the horse is in control the rider is in trouble so if the horse rider is in control then i would like the horse to communicate understand what i'm trying to tell him so the way i give my commands is to my most important aid which is my feet how i shift my weight in the saddle how i'm going to be able to move my legs my horse understands me. So I could use my voice, my whip, or my spurs, but the most important part when we talk about saddle fit starts at the rider. Because if the rider doesn't have a pliable seat, what is a pliable seat? There's a school over 400 years old in Vienna, the Spanish riding school, yep. and if you want to ride there, you are for a one year on the launch line before you touch the reins to learn to swing with your waist, with your seat, with the movement, and control a horse with your seat. Mm -hmm. Now imagine they put you in a such an uncomfortable saddle, but kills you, either in the crotch, on your seat bones, on your tailbone, on your hip, on your knee. You're going to brace yourself, right? So you never get a pliable seat. So in the old, old days when saddles were war, you know, we don't have time to hold on to reins. We had weapons to, to, to have in our hands. Yep. So the most communication is through my midsection of my body, from the upper inner thigh up to my um, belly button, mm -hmm. so my seat. So I cannot emphasize enough that it's absolutely important. It has to fit the rider first. When I'm a jumper as a jockey, a three-day event rider, most of the time I have my foot in the stirrup and it's hung on a metal bar on the tree in three different positions. Those positions is determined by the ratio of your upper leg and your lower leg. Example. Yep. If my upper leg is shorter than the lower leg, the bar has to hang forward. And 99% of all guys have a longer lower leg, opposite with women. Women have a longer femur than a lower leg. And if a femur rides in a stirrup bar where your stirrup leather is attached on the saddle, which is forward, every time you put your weight in your stirrups, 
forward jumping position. Your lower legs get pulled forward. It's physics. It's not an opinion what I'm talking about here. It's like a pendulum. If the pendulum attachment is too far forward, your lower leg gets pulled forward. So it's absolutely important for event riders, short jumpers, anybody who's using those stirrups to get out of the saddle. Mm-hmm. So these are just the two main points for the rider. And then, of course, it goes down to the horse. For example, I like to fit and give people the tip. When you have a good riding helmet, it fits from front of the head to the back of the head. And also from the left and the right side. And then the side of the helmet, it's nice and flush on the side. You don't want a sombrero, like a Mexican head would fix out on the <laughs> yes. side. Yep. So if you have the angle of the side of the helmet, the width of the helmet, and the front to back of the helmet, this chin strap that holds the helmet on is very loose and the helmet is secure. Now imagine, and I always tell this people, I said, my son-in-law has a very wide head and his sight is very sloped. When I put his helmet on, I can't watch. I can't see because it's like right onto my eyes. <laughs> yes, yes. My head is smaller, but my temples are steep. Right? So, and then that's how it goes with the saddle. It has to fit on front to back and in the width or his shoulders when you have a jumper or a stash or western it doesn't matter what you do if you put equipment on the saddle on the horse back scab you need to slide through and then very important how do the sidebar do they wrap around the body or do they just stick out like a sombrero and many people have really bad fitting helmets or bad fitting heads how to put the chin strap tight so that the helmet doesn't fly off. And many, many people have bad fitting saddle and over tighten, they call that term cinch burn the horse, where they get super tight on the pectoralis and they wonder why the horse stumbles. They wonder why the horse bites you when you dress up. They wonder why they don't come when you ask them to come from the paddock. They wonder why you kick you, cow kick you. It's so easy with today's all of us have a computer now in the pocket, there are cell phones I mean you can google things like that mm. uh, and yet there is a lot of opinion, we call it from the peanut gallery, who like to talk but they don't know the why many people give you the how but nobody gives you the why yes. and in our previous broadcast I always say the people who know the how will always follow the people who know the why and I like to, with your help and with social media, anything possible, help many, many people to protect themselves and avoid long-term damage by telling them, understand the why. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. why should the helmet fit comfortable around the head? Well, that's a no-brainer. So if I fall off, my helmet doesn't fall off before I hit the concrete. Mm-hmm. Why should the saddle fit my horse? So I don't hurt him and pinch his nerve, so he bucks, falls, or gets crippled from my equipment. And this is where it really hurts. I said that before in your show, and I say it again, many people apply unintentional pain to the horses, and I don't think 
even the non-educated tarotfeder out there, or their so-called self-proclaimed tarotfeder without any proper training, I don't think there's anybody out who goes out there purposely to, to, to make that horse suffer. Yep. Deep yep. down, they all want to help. Yep. But they don't know what they don't know. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So if I say the green pill helps you with the stomach acid, I don't know, but it looks green and maybe it's like <laughs> green tea and it's the worst yeah. thing you could give. Yeah. That's such a bad advice and this is unfortunately unregulated in this industry and I'm cannot say enough my gratitude that I have a chance to talk to you because through podcasts such as this and helping people to get analysis to understand why it's so important has to fit the rider first and then the horse. Now, and I like what you said about, you know, people, they might give you the how but don't know the why, and I think that's it. You know, sometimes if people want to give you advice, sometimes the best thing to do if you don't understand it is to ask why and see how much depth of knowledge that they really have. So I think that that just itself is a good tip. Yeah. You know, not to, to ashamed them, just to see maybe they are on something. Mm. If it doesn't make sense to you, and if they can't explain, well, then you still have a chance to protect you and your horse. Yes, yes, yes. Excellent. Now, if we've got a saddle and we've fitted it to ourselves, fitted it to the horse, what about because there's circumstances where someone might have a couple of horses and they've got the same saddle. Mm-hmm. What happens if we've, you know, if we've got more than one horse and we've got the same saddle? What can we do there? Yeah. So when we talk to professionals yeah. and they're trained horses, it's impossible, especially in the hunter-jumper world, there are sometimes up to 10, 15 horses a day to own 10, 15 saddles. It's just mm-hmm. not feasible. It's not realistic. Sure. The buyer horses, the seller horses. So a professional, they have a so-called, what we call a pro-fit. And the pro-fit is categorized into pro-fit one, pro-fit two, pro-fit three. Pro-fit one would be if you would be a trainer or a horse owner who really loves the more Baroque-style horse, the Lusitanos, Andalusian, Frisian, sort of the wider shoulder, flat-backed horses. Mm-hmm. The profit two would be for your average warmblood. Mm-hmm. And the profit three would be for people who buy thoroughbreds or standard breads off the racetrack. And they're most of the time slimmer and thinner. Yep. And they train them and sell them as a hunter jumper or pleasure horse. Yep. So and I give the analogy of I grew up in a very big family. And lucky enough, I was the oldest. <laughs> but my brothers got the shoes passed on. But one of the brothers had a little wider foot than the other one. Ones that fit in the somewhat in the length. But if you have a brother what has a very wide foot, and like I said earlier with the analogy of Adidas and Nike shoes, my foot was narrow. So only one of my brothers could wear my shoes. So while you have a certain shoe size and shoe width, what a variety of people can wear, the same with the saddle. Of course, it's nice to have a saddle for each horse, but again, it's not realistic. So my advice, if you have a bunch of horses, measure the widest horse, and then maybe have a, uh, a pad that adds additional inserts. And in the oh, reality yes. is, mm-hmm. you, you have for each saddle, each horse's saddle, but 
sometimes it's not feasible or it's not possible. The professionals group their horses in groups. And if I ride 15 horses a day, I can afford three saddles. Yeah. And with these three saddles, my groom, my stable help, my wife, my buddy, whoever helps me get through the day, understands, oh, this this saddle goes to uh, Bucky and uh, that goes to Fiona and what all these horses' names are, mm-hmm. they're in the group. Yep, yep. So you can do that. Yep. Does that make sense? Then? Yes, yes. What about, uh, I'm just thinking about these saddles and resale value. What happens if if you find a good name brand saddle for sale? You know, might be, what should we be looking for there? Yes. So I give you good advice um, with merchants. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I met a friend who flew to Asia, to China. Yeah. And he bought a black T-shirt. Right. And it was pennies, dirt cheap. Yep. And the same shirt got a little embossed (laughs) logo on it. Yep. And that shirt was now for 350% markup. Yes. The product is exactly the same. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you pay for a brand. So beware of that. What you we should ask very first is this a disposable or non-disposable saddle? People always say, "What is that?" Well, saddles are made. You can buy from Pakistan or from India or from Buenos Aires saddles with pad and bridle for less than hundred dollars. Really, really, really cheap. Mm-hmm. They might last you a couple months. Maybe if you're lucky, a year. Then fall apart. And then the price goes up into the thousands of dollars. So what should you look for? Ask the person on eBay, is this saddle adjustable or not? Mm-hmm. Now, here comes the trick. Everybody will say it's adjustable because there are three billets or there are wolf flock. That is not the real answer you're looking for. You want to ask, is the saddle adjustable in the tree width? Back to the helmet, or narrow head or wide head, that's the width. Next, is the tree angle adjustable? That's how the helmet fits on the side. That's how the saddle fits on the side of the horse. It's two big differences between the width of the helmet and the angle of the helmet how it sits on the human head. Same with the saddle. Yep. How wide the tree is, and then how it wraps around the rib cage. So if they say well, it has one of those T's, and I can narrow and widen the angle. Well, that's great. But how does that help you in the width? What good does it do if I give my son-in-law a helmet where the side flares up and down, but it doesn't even sit around his head. It just sits on top of his head like a tennis ball. It doesn't have a Is this not adjustable? Mm-hmm. So beware about that. If you look for a good find on eBay, ask, is it adjustable in the width? the angle, and of course you want to make sure for the comfort of the muscle of the horse's back, is it flocked? Flocked means, can I make the bottom smooth again? Is it well flocked? Really, really important, those three. Okay, okay. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 
101 careers in the horse industry is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Now, if we do need the repairs, what are the most expensive repairs if we get a used saddle that needs some work? Well, it's kind of like a car. Yep. You know, the more you drive your car, the more wear and tear on your tires. Sure, sure. Et cetera, et cetera. So if you're independent, wealthy, you always buy a new, great. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you buy a used car. And then you look at, well, how, what's the t- car, the tire look like? What's the mileage? So with the saddle, it's a little different. There it's more, um, you can buy a very good brand saddle. And it's already burned inside out. Okay. So that means the most important substance of leather is water. And second, goat grease. Grease or fat. Mm-hmm. You know, it, yep. It's something that leaves the leather alive. Yes. And because the sweat can burn the leather from the inside out, most of the time the sweat comes from the bottom. And when the panel has to be replaced, that's a third of a new price of the saddle. Mm. So that's a lot of money. Yep. So that's a yep. very expensive. Yep. Seat replace. Like right now, I'm on um, seminar. I'm teaching a lot of people here in Miami, and it's super hot here in Florida, and the humidity is insane. And you don't even have to ride in your sweat. So when you ride in sweat, you're absolutely soaked. Also through your breeches and on your feet. So the human sweat can also destroy the seed as well as the friction and the sun. So the seed, same thing, third of the cost. And the, the other third is the flaps, of course. Sometimes people say, yeah, but my horse fell over and I heard a broken tree uh, is expensive to repair. Not really anymore. More and more manufacturing specialized on uh, able to, to fix the okay. tree. The more expensive part are the straps, the seat, and the panel. Because once the leather is dead, in other words, it breaks, then that's it. Most people are shy about the billets, but that is just like your car tires. You know, so if the car has no more threat, you either drive from blank tires, which is very unsafe, or you buy yourself a set of tires. And the billet that holds the saddle to the horse, it's not that most expensive. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that the tree's not as expensive as it was because, you know, once you would just completely avoid a saddle if it had a broken tree. But um, now you're saying it, it might not be as expensive to repair as, say, a, a flap or a seat or something that needs repairing, yeah. So um, the trees used to be expensive, but now you get them, the most inexpensive ones are from England. You get the wood trees for £35. Mm. They're so dirt cheap. Mm-hmm. What is that? Maybe seventy dollars. Yeah. And um, uh, some manufacturers use plastic tree, 
Uh-huh. They are like three dollar fifty. <laughs> wow. The tree is really inexpensive. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they, of course, you have other companies who use a little bit more expensive trees, but that is not as expensive as the other items I mentioned. Right. I'm just thinking about the other incidental costs. You know, what else could arise in the way of incidental costs when you buy a saddle? Well, um, my car is time to replace. And when I see a car and I like it really, and then I see the price that, oh, and then I look, I think I can swing it. And when the price and then the salesperson puts the bottom line on it, such as transport fee, tire tax, and something you never heard, all of a sudden, there's another five grand on the bottom of the bill, and I just changed it. And the same thing happens to a saddle. You know, the saddle, you might buy it on eBay, and, and shipping uh, it can be horrendous. We oh, have okay. a lot of people yep. who are really interested in our saddle in, um, in, in South America and in Brazil. You have a 45% import duty. So beware what your import duty is when you buy saddles on. Um, on-site evaluation, I have seen people who charge $250 just to give you an opinion because of whoever they are. Some people included in the saddle. I mean, I have nothing, and we charge two. I mean, if a professional comes out and spends time with you, he needs to be paid for his knowledge and wisdom and time. And everybody pays for that. But if you don't calculate what that's an additional charge would may come to it, you know? Taxes, yeah. of course, and and sometimes a saddle doesn't go sold like a Western saddle. Western saddle, most of the time, is the fenders and the cinch, and the pad is all there. An English saddle has nothing. Yep. It has no stirrup leathers, has no stirrup irons, but it girth. That all adds up. You know? mm-hmm. So that can be sometimes a very <laughs> good question because this comes very often up, Glennis, that people say, oh, my God, you know. I was so excited to get the saddle. Now I'm sick to my stomach because all the additional costs. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. And when you do get that saddle, you know, because everyone wants to talk about the different features, and especially the manufacturers want to talk about the saddle features, but what do you think is the most important when we're considering a saddle? What should we be looking at when we're buying a saddle to do with the features? That is the easiest answer of all, mm-hmm. and yet the most hidden <laughs> answers in most manufacturers, retailers, or saddlers. It is the length of the saddle. Okay. We have today equipment that measures the heart rate of the horse, the cadence of the horse, the gait symmetry, the stride in the gallop, the height and the jump, the takeoff shuttle. We have so much technology to exactly analyze how good the horse performs or how much stress the horse has. Now, from the medicine, we know when we take the blood test and our cortisol level is up, I am in stress. When a horse is ridden in saddle A and he breathes normal, he just walks a circle left, he works a circle left, now he puts another saddle on. Nothing changes just the saddle. He walks a circle left, he sort of walks a circle right, and his heart rate is all the way up. What? Stresses this animal. Heart rate goes up, cortisol level is up, that's how you know stress. Mm-hmm. So, where am I going with this? Very easy. The front of the saddle is where the saddle should sit behind the shoulder blade. And on the shoulder blade on top is the big, blubby stuff we call it cartilage, same stuff your nose is made or your ears are made out of. 
So once that cartilage is damaged, this is it. The horse is permanently lame. You mm-hmm. cannot ride anymore. Cartilage mm-hmm. does not grow. But that's not it. It's a small, irritating spot in the Chinese medicine when they talk about acupuncture. There's a bladder meridian line on the horse's back, and there's one point what's called the BL13, the bladder meridian point 13, that's the lung reflex point. When you press this, so let's talk about pressure. People can analyze when I squish a lemon, that's a lot of pressure. I need to press very hard to get the juice out of the lemon. I don't know how I have to press maybe a tenth of that pressure to squish a grape where people make wine from. So we call that grape pressure or lemon pressure. So when you go on this bladder meridian point 13, it's what is a lung reflex point. Mm-hmm. And you put less than grape pressure on that spot, and you have a heart monitor, you see how the horse elevates in his heart rate, and he's stressed. So we know what is being taught in pony club, in soldiers, People do not and should never, ever, ever put pressure to damage the cartilage. There's people now on YouTube. You can type in dissect the horse and battle this. There's veterinarians who have that horse on the table and put a tree on it. So here, typical damaged shoulder. See how the tree fits right in there? Pretty mm-hmm. gross. Okay. And um, But that is the severe case. Many, many horses have such a psychological trauma because they're so stressed because the saddle is too long. The length of the saddle is the number one thing. And you can say, well, then I push it back. No, you can't. Because if the saddle puts any kind of a pressure on the numbers versus processes, if you put pressure on those numbers, the horse will back. That's why we call it the back reflex point. If the horse, it's a fire horse, fire horse is more sensitive, they react to fly immediately, they will tell you. But if you have an earth horse or wood horse, very calm in there, you can you can do all kinds of videos. They will never fight back. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you put that, they will deform, and then you start injecting the SI, the stifle, the hogs. Why? Because they don't work anymore, because the horse is upside down and locks. Mm. So the pressure on the loin is just as bad as the pressure on the shoulder. Now imagine, you bought a saddle, it's your price range, it's perfect, you love it, it fits you, but it's too long. You cannot shorten the saddle. That's the only thing, no matter how expensive it was, no matter how Olympian, how many people ride in that, the length you can change. A good adjustable saddle, you can change in the width, in the angle, in the stuffing, in the channel, you can change the billet. You can change the flocking, but the saddle, you cannot change in the length. So that's why I was chuckling a little bit by saying, if you ask me what's the most important part, yeah. it is the length. I can't. And yet, why does nobody talk about it? Because if you really pay attention to it, you have to go a little bit more active, and you may not sell so many saddles. Doesn't mean you, you, you never sell saddles, but you have to work a little harder. And we know the mentality is we want to get more money for less work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Care when okay. it hurts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I'm just thinking that what if we need that bigger saddle and the saddle support area of the horse allows then? What do we do? Okay. So <laughs> another very interesting myth, you know, and, and in one of our talks we had the eight myths of saddle today, and that's the same thing. You know, so when we look at a Western saddle, mm-hmm. a Western saddle measures where the pommel starts and the cantle. The distance straight across. On an English saddle, we measure diagonal to a saddle nail. That's what we call the seat size. Yep. And the saddler can place the nail wherever I want. I can sell you a saddle from pommel to cantle that measures 16 inch. And I can place that nail at 16 and a half, 17, 17 and a half, 18, 18 and a half. Okay. Yep. And you have never, ever, ever change the seat for you. So the biggest myth is this nail, and that saddle seat in the English saddles is meant for mass production, wholesale retail. You will never buy a shoe, cheap or expensive, unless you try it on. Mm. For example, in all the shoes I have, I range from size 11 to 13. Because mm. In this one manufacturer, I have a 13. In the other manufacturer, I have an 11. And I measure the shoe on the bottom. That the length the same. So how can they call them 11? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, isn't yeah. that something? And the same with the saddle. If you measure pommel to cantle, that's the most important part. So 16-inch pommel to cantle. It's a very large saddle. And... 16 inch, the back of the shoulder where the bladder meridian point is, the lung reflex point. So if you measure from that to the last bit, you will find that is on many horses anywhere from 16 and sometimes up to 20 inches long. Wow. Wow. So the majority of the style support area can fit. Now here comes the kicker. If I make the panel, the bottom part, sit on that style support area. Four inch longer, like two inch to the front, two inch to the back. Now I have a super large bottom with a smaller one on top. Now you could argue two points. You could say, well, that makes no sense because the whole horse is buried under this incredible long saddle. Mm. Or you can say, oh, this is better for weight bearing surface. No, no, no. Absolutely not, because we talked about earlier about lemon pressure. The horse takes a lot of contact and weight and pressure behind the cartilage and the shoulder blade and the lung meridian point and in front of the lumbar area on top of the ribs. And if your horse is 15 inch, 16 inch, or 17, that's all you've got. And the average horse has four inch wide, 16 inch long on the up each side, that's 128 square inch. Mm-hmm. That carries 350 pounds. And that is the saddle, the rider, the boots, the helmet, the whip, the shoes, the clothes. If your saddle, however, is too short and you don't use the whole surface area and you are a heavy rider, then you have higher pounds per square inch. And as we know from Newton, when he talks about velocity and pressure, and from the medical field, when we know at 4.56 kPa, in Europe we say kilopascal, 
in Britain or in North America, we say PSI, pounds per square inch. Mm-hmm. Same thing, it's just a measure of unit. Then the blood flow and the nutrition to the muscle is gone and we have atrophy. Back to your original question. If I need a larger saddle, but my saddle support area is small, there's three major things you do not want. Number one, you do not want a long pommel. The pommel is a part on the front of your saddle, and that is meant to be short or really, really long to the front. In North America, we have a sport was called the walking horse or the big lick. Those saddles are 24 inches long. That means from the nail to the candle, 24 inches. Mm-hmm. But where the pommel rises and the candle is, it's just 16 inches. So they extend in front of the riders, for lack of word, I use the word crotch. So in front of the riders, crotch, they extend the tree to the front to make the tree super, super long to ride and put the rider way back in the saddle. For the sport, I cannot endorse, I know I'm going to get a lot of slack for it, but for me, I don't think a gated horse should be in pain to move comfortable in the gate. Mm-hmm. We do not, with all the knowledge we have, need to increase the pain to get the horse into a certain pattern we desire for a, a useless sport. I'm sorry that I'm so vocal on this, but that makes me absolutely mad when I abuse an animal for the pleasure of a human. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, when, when they were first starting off, you know, the actual use of the Tennessee walking horses was for the property owners, wasn't it, to cover large exactly. amounts of ground in a short period of time and, and a very, very comfortable ride. But, um, yes, I think the welfare of the horse has got to be a consideration. They're not just machines. You can have a very nice, there's nothing wrong with a good fancy walking saddle so long you do not hit in an area where the horse will be formed. Mm, mm, so the, the seat can be also made longer when you make the metal point stick forward. You know, we talked about that in our eight yep. minutes of saddle pit where yep. the three points go forward. Yeah, and then the horse gets a little bit more short trotty and, and snaps the front leg like soldiers in the Second World War in Germany saluted. Now, if you fancy that kind of a short trot, then get a saddle that pokes in the shoulder and you get that. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to damage the shoulder and don't want that ineffective, ineffective, this wrong trot, then you get this saddle with a tree point but goes backwards. Like yep. every saddle was built hundreds of years ago. Yeah. Last not least, the way the panel is made in the back. I can have a huge panel mm. and give you this big fairy tale story of, oh, heat bearing surface. I yet have to see a rider who sits on the top of the candle. That's hard. Top of the candle. They don't sit. Nobody sits there. So why do you want to extend the panel to the rear? Western, I understand. You need to put your, your, your kitchen, your tent, your food, your water, your gun, whatever you want to attach to the saddle. But in an English saddle, you don't carry all that stuff. So you do not need to worry if you're a larger person. If you don't extend the pommel, you don't extend the cantle or the panel, and you don't go with a forward-facing tree point. Mm-hmm. You'll be surprised how comfortable your larger person 
you can sit on a horse so long as in that saddle support. Just go into a bit more depth about, you know, 17-inch saddles, but why do 17-inch saddles from different manufacturers never feel the same? Have you explained that, or can you go into a bit more depth about that? Because um, it's a bit I, of a I mystery. would love I could draw yeah. that for you. Yeah. But if you visualize the saddle in front of you, you're looking down bird's view. Okay? Yep. Let's say next time you're in the tax shop, or next time you're in your, your, your riding arena, take five minutes and put five or six saddles side by side. Mm-hmm. And then you take the tape measure and you measure from nail to candle. And then at the same time, from pommel to candle. Okay. You will see, you will have maybe three or four saddles that measure 17 inch. Mm. But the pommel to candle are three different sizes. And that's what you feel. You don't feel where the saddle put the nail. Okay. You feel where the pommel and the candle comes. And that's why it is different. Because the nail or the saddles are labeled, it's an arbitrary number. It's a number what they put it there for. For example, my wife told me once, if a lady is a size six, but her all her friends is a size four, she wants to buy a dress what is a size four too. And if the company says, this dress is actually four, and in reality it's a six the lady feels better. So what does the saddle company say? <laughs> oh, let's move the nail back yeah. so the rider thinks, oh, not as big. Oh, I yes. did 17. Okay. All it is is move the nail back to make you feel better. Yep. So always measure pommel to candle because that's the true size. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. else is focus, focus. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Now, is there anything else, Ian, any other considerations for the saddle fit that we should know, should talk about before we um, finish off? Well, in, in the beginning of our talk is once you fit a saddle what fits you, unless you gain or lose 35 pounds each direction, with the 70 pounds fluctuation, most of the time that saddle becomes like a shoe to you. It, your bottom just sits in, your knee feels great, your leg feels good. Unfortunately, the horse doesn't stay the same unless it's a wooden horse, a rocking horse, or a mechanical horse. A horse, what is carrying a human, will do that so it doesn't break apart and doesn't fall or trip. So it tries to balance you. And you're trying to sit on the saddle balance so you don't fall off. Mm. So there is a certain, if you take a stick, you lift it up, and you put your hand in the middle of the stick, the stick will balance. So now the stick is the horse's ears all the way to the tail. And somewhere there's the balance point of that horse's spine. Now you put the stick upright and you balance it on your palm. That's the rider's spine. Okay? And that has to be aligned. If your hand tilts one way or the other, you will have a very hard time to balance that stick. Are you following me so far? Yes, I think so. Yep. So if the saddle where you sit is not balanced, you're cramping with your knees, you're holding on the rein, you keep falling off one side and the horse lands hard on the front left. Oh, I wonder why he got split all the time. Oh, then he gets lame, then he has suspension injury because you're wobbling or falling from one side because you don't have the balance. So the balance is 
answer your question, but just to consider and make sure when you sit in the saddle, do not have any force in your muscles. Sit relaxed as your saddle lets you sit without you fighting to be over the horse's balance. People ask me all the time, what is it? Well, watch bullfighter or watch a rodeo rider. They all sit at the base, at the wither of the horse. That is where the horse's balance point is. If they would sit somewhere else, guess what? They would fall off. They wouldn't win the rodeo. So the balance point, everybody who ever ridden bareback will never sit on top of the withers, hurts very much. And they will never sit in the middle of the horse's back because the horse turns fast around, <laughs> you'll fly off. Yep. So the balance point is just the right at the base of the withers. And it's the seat foam, sorry, the seat area where my pelvis sits on mm -hmm. is a flat, so on tilt forward. So that's something very important to be balanced. Okay. Then the next part, I don't want to damage the bone on the withers. The largest organ of the animal is the skin. And the highest point is not the ears, it's not the pole, it's not the neck. The highest point where the skin drapes over is that withers. And when the saddle hits that with us and cuts that skin, it takes forever and sometimes never to really heal and close again. Yep. So you want to make sure that metal plate is away. Mm -hmm. The third one is the channel width. The space over the horse's spine. Many, many Indians, horse people, horse specialists, people who work with biomechanics, They call the spine the river of energy. Just like on humans, there's a hole all the way in the spine where the nervous system, the nervous, all the nerves go down the spine and then to the various organs and muscles, etc. So if you put pressure on that spine, you have all kinds of problems. Make sure the channel is wide enough. Most people know the next one. The saddle should wibble and rock like a teeter-totter. And it shouldn't sit on the horse's back like a chair, right? Where you have four hard contact points. It should have a nice, smooth surface. Unfortunately, the easiest one can be sometimes a problem is the billet alignment. Okay? So many saddles have three or four billets. Mm -hmm. But if you have long billets, you can adjust them. And how the billets are aligned is very, very important. So make sure you have enough short billets and make sure you can move the long billet to various positions. Okay. Then we have straightness and triangle and width, which we've talked about already. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, and another one. You, you know, I know you've got a family history, but it's like you live and breathe saddles and fitting of saddleries. And I think everyone can understand that we can ask you that, you know, you talk about the how, but also the why and the depth of knowledge you've got. Um, It's pretty incredible that we've been talking for so many hours. It's not just now, it's, you know, all the previous times that you've talked about different related topics to do with saddlery, fitting of saddlery. So, um, yes, great to have you on the show. Great to talk to you. Now, the Saddle Fit for Life, is that the best way that people can contact you? Or have you got other contact details if people would like to yeah. contact you? What's the best way? Yep. The easiest way to contact me if you... Contact me under info at saddlefitforlife.com. Mm -hmm. 
It's very easy. Info and then Sado, S-A-D-D-L-E, Fit, F-I-T, and then the number four. Yep. And then life.com, L-I-F-E dot com. Yep. So if you, you can email me on that. Same, this is also my website, www.saddlekidsforlife.com. You will see tons of videos, and we are open. We have many, many government supports, many, many associations who work with us together. Mm-hmm. Uh, veterinarians get a lot of credits when they take all courses, so do the trainers. So yep. because it's not selling a product, it's combining the knowledge, what we lost in the industrial revolution to protect the horse and rider from long-term yep. damage. Yep. And just like you hear your mom or your grandma or your ancestor said, when you give, you get back 10 times. Mm, so for sure, for sure. The yep. knowledge. And, and people like to help each other. Of course, people like to be nasty. But in general, I like to say people like to help. Okay. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make people aware and hopefully they don't cripple their horse for life unintentionally. Yep. Yep. If people would like those contact details as well, just go to horsechats.com. And even if you search for Johan, which is J O C H E N, and I think you'll find all of his other chats as well, as well as this one. And, um, I would urge you to go through right from the beginning and um, you know, if you want to know a little bit more about saddlery or a lot more about saddlery and the fitting of saddlery to go through all those chats. So um, looking forward to catching up with you again, Johan. I'm sure you'll have another very interesting topic that's going to help us help our horses. Thank you. I would love that. Thank you. No worries. Thank you. Bye-bye. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 